don't give it like a the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, confusion or stupidity in post-career Egypt with Mai Ali Bashi. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Mai Ali Brashi, who is um, chair of the Built Environment Center uh, Megara in Cairo and as well as the director of the, of the uh, Atherlina, Ather, <laughs> can you say it? Atherlina. Atherlina. Um, and uh, today we will we finish uh, the series uh, in the Levant and Egypt. Uh, um with uh, and I'm very glad to finish it with you May uh, good evening hello <laughs> um maybe before we talk about Cairo and the post tahrir Cairo and we could uh, we could start by um, um addressing your your present work with uh, with uh, Megora and um I was lucky enough to to see uh, the space the incredible space uh, you're you occupy to for for this work so maybe we can even start by that if you could describe it for us that'd be great um we uh, um Megawara, we, we we're a built environment collective we started in uh, at the end of 2011 and the thought was we would um create a space for architects and urbanists um And at the time, also a co-working space where you could uh, exchange knowledge and also organize cultural events such as le lectures and workshops, etc. And one of our um, activities was more community-oriented, more development-oriented and research-oriented, and it tended to focus on uh, the urban uh, environment and also on heritage, issues of heritage. And a project that came out of that was a project called Osarlina, which literally translates as The Monument is Ours. And it started off investigating the relationship between the people and sites of heritage in historic Cairo and looking at ways that uh, that involve different stakeholders in, in coming up with solutions um, in which uh, all stakeholders become responsible for the monument, they benefit from the monument, and they are uh, part of the decision-making process in uh, concerning how to take care of it. So that project sort of grew Um and turned into a fully-fledged intervention in the street in Islamic Cairo called the Khalifa. And now we're currently restoring four um, domes dating from the 12th and 13th century. And we've also rehabilitated an early 20th century building as originally we planned it uh, as a clinic and a community center for the neighborhood. But uh, we started to run out of resources, more, more human even than financial. And we decided to move our other activities as well, the Megawara activities that are oriented more towards architects and urbanists, to the same space. So now, in parallel to the developmental uh, activities that we do in the neighborhood, we also run the space from there. So we do a, a range of things. We work on conservation. We, um, we also mediate between the government and the people uh, Uh, inter uh, if certain interventions are going to happen that we feel require, um, um, how do I call it? They, they need to sort of be changed a little bit, to tweaked a little bit so that they're more in favor of the neighborhood. We also work with the children of the neighborhood um, in educational activities that with the mandate of getting them to know uh, and um, know their heritage and um, 
and become more attached to it. And we have other research activities related to the street. Parallel to that, we have we organize uh, lectures and workshops in the in the in the space itself. And we were very happy to have you uh, <laughs> last. What was it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Talking about your blog with other bloggers in Cairo. So. Um. Uh, yeah, and maybe we can actually even talk about the the, the space itself. It's like this uh, this building that never got <laughs> that was never achieved, right? <laughs> the space. I think when I tell the story, I feel as if I'm telling the story of of Egypt in a way, <laughs> because um, it starts actually much earlier than the actual space in the 13th century, with the the dome that was built in the mid 13th century by Egypt's only female ruler during the Islamic period, Chagrat al-Dur. And then next to it, uh, a, uh, a mosque is built. And the name Al-Khalifa of the mosque is actually the name the whole street uh, takes. And then the mosque is removed because it's too close to the monument by the authorities in charge of, of conservation. And um, it has decided to build a new mosque uh, uh, a bit further away. Uh, the decision was made in the early 20th century. Um, that it takes them 40 years to build that mosque, from 1920s to the from deciding to do it in the early 1900s to starting to build in the 1920s to actually build uh, to stopping somehow <laughs> the 1940s and not finishing the mosque. 1952, Al-Tahad al the um, socialist union, um, uh, takes it. And the socialist union is basically the arm of the, um, the military socialist government at the time after the 1952 revolution and turns it into a community center and a clinic. 1970s, the new, uh, the that sort of power moves to what was the only party at the time, the National Democratic Party. So they take control of it and it continues to function as a community center and a, um, a clinic. Then for some reason, it, it closes and we come in after the revolution, after the uh, 2011 revolution. And it takes us a year to find out that the key is with a local, you know, somebody from the local community. And it takes us a year for us to gain the trust of the, of the neighborhood to the point where they give us the key. And we start to use it literally with the permission of the people. I mean, it's uh, it seems to have in this process, this whole process, starting from um, the, um, the, the Socialist Union taking it to the NDP taking it can be described as illegal because there are no, there's no official paperwork that 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 transforms it into a clinic and a community center. So we're continuing happily in the same tradition and uh, basically occupying it mm. with the permission of the people. And it, of course, helps that uh, the conservation work that we do is in partnership with the Ministry of Antiquities. And so there is a kind of legitimacy uh, in, in, our, uh, in the way we have taken over the building, but at the same time, I can't really say that we have the legal papers mm -hmm. that, you know. Yeah, but it's another way to conceive a property as, as being... Uh something you own Absolutely. because you're making something uh, out of it but uh, something you own not as a not as a privatized uh, space like the the gardens we were talking about earlier in, yes. uh, in how people with decides to garden the the garden uh, become become the owner and can put fence around so that saying like well we're the one doing the work so yes. it's only for us so i think Megado Mig is a is a great example of how how you can uh, how you can actually uh, Maybe have this kind of uh, activity in a, in an ambiguous uh, leg legality, but still in a, in another proposition for uh, property and, and use use of space. Um, so the conversation we were we are going to have um, today 
uh, could take uh, the title uh, <laughs> the title of one of your quotes in in the book the, in the in the essay you you sent me uh, to prepare this conversation and uh, I, I really like this quote you say if you're not confused you're stupid <laughs> because it's true that times are times are extremely complex uh, I think in general but in Egypt in particular and um, and so I'll, I think I'll I'll be interested to have this conversation. Uh, as both a sort of description of of, uh, of uh, the the current state of Cairo, at least uh, the three last year uh, post revolution um, in Cairo, but also with your personal your personal take on it as a as a conservation conservationist, and um, so I mean you you started this essay with uh, with uh, I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe a, a sort of like okay we. We've been talking about Tahrir all the time. We said, "Oh, yes, this is so interesting. This is this is a this is a revolution that happens in the city. We have such a specialization." Okay, we've been saying all that. Now what? Right? Is that yeah. and and so could you could you maybe describe us this uh, this feeling uh, that you had maybe for the first or two years uh, right after the revolution towards towards people who were maybe trying to. To think of what just happened, and maybe we had certitudes, and we were maybe lacking of confusion a little bit. The essay I sent you is actually something that it seems will never be published. We're not quite sure, but it was commissioned by the town by the townhouse gallery, in here in Cairo. And what they did was they asked four people of different professions to reflect on their profession post-revolution. And there was me. There was a, a journalist. Um, Uh, two journalists, I think, and I can't remember who the fourth person was. Um, and at the time, I had I was I had very very um, uh, sort of ambiguous feeling about my profession as somebody who works in conservation, who's concerned with historical buildings in particular. And the reason why I had those feelings was, I think, two things. The first was um, during. The 18 days of the revolution, at least the days where I was involved in the revolution because I wasn't involved right from the start, what I was very aware of was this gift of the now, was this idea that the present is so present. Mm -hmm. And um, this is not something that I think is easy to to catch. You, you sort of, you reflect on the past, you look forward to the future, the present is never that present, and it's an issue, I think. Um And during those days, the present was very present. It was a very... Um, things were clear-cut in a way that is never going to happen again. And they were clear-cut geographically. They were clear-cut ideologically even. And even in terms of safety, in terms of where you were, in terms of where you stood, everything had clear boundaries. And um, I think one of the things that were also very clear to me at the time was how aware I was of, of just filling a space because the idea of occupying generally a space in protest is that you're a body filling a space. And um, that for me was my purpose and it was the purpose of everybody. And it was there was a constant concern of that. Is the is the Medan filled? Is it not? How do we make it look as if it's filled? If it's not, when will they fill it? Mm -hmm. When do people fill it, etc.? So that presence of the now and, and very physical, tangible sort of existence was something that took me by um, by surprise and overpowered my understanding of, of you know of who I am and how I live my life etc the other thing was that immediately almost right from the start there was a certain 
cultural ideological war that was being played and heritage was being used as a tool in that war. So uh, people demonstrating were portrayed as people who could potentially harm the Egyptian museum or later on they were the people who burnt the um, Al-Ilmi, the um, Institut d'Egypte. Yes, no, yes, the 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 yes, the the, the building of the of the Institute of Egypt. Um, th- there was that. Um, there was always this idea of heritage being harmed, buildings being torn down, whatever. And at the time, I found it very almost obscene that heritage was being used that way. Mm-hmm. Especially that, for, if I work in conservation, I mean, the very essence of the word conservation means that you are working in the present to preserve something for the future. Her- conservation is actually a very future, sort of forward-looking profession, mm-hmm. oddly enough. And I felt that, and it reached a point where I did not want anything to have with these kinds of any, didn't want to have anything to do with these kinds of discussions. That if the Institute d'Egypte burns down, it burns down. It doesn't really matter. And particularly the Magma al the Institute d'Egypte was a very specific case in my mind because nobody knew what, what was in that building. Mm-hmm. And people started talking about it after it was lost. And if it had not been lost, nobody would have known mm-hmm. about it. In fact, trying to enter that building and use that library was extremely difficult. So it's almost as if, practically speaking, that building did not exist. It only existed when it Mm. was burned down. And that for me was also an issue. You know, um, and quite symbolically, the, uh, I think hundreds of thousands of documents were actually evacuated from the building uh, on fire. So there's quite a, there's actually a literal uh, a literal uh, movement from the inside of this uh, fortress of knowledge to the outside uh, of with those documents, right? I mean, symbolically, it's it's quite a strong, uh, it's quite a strong yes. uh, liberation of of. Uh, yes, I guess, but also the other thing uh, is that um, a lot of these documents were books that were not that that precious, mm. so. Yeah, again, it's this the politics of using a cultural heritage, right? So they say, oh, the, um, the description de l'Egypte, the description de l'Egypte was there. Mm. It's like, you know, there's so hundreds Na- of that. Yes. Napoleonian. There's, uh, there's, there, there's hundreds of copies of that book. Mm. There's one at AUC, at the American University. There's one at my, you know, at the university where, where I studied in the UK. There's loads in France. It's not as if it's the book, you know, mm. but it's used in a way that people who have no idea you know, they will say, what have we lost? And also the other thing is, uh, now, when it was being burned down, this was in the middle of literally a war between the revolutionaries and the government, the, at the time the military government. And what annoyed me was people sort of removing themselves, removing their bodies, if I'm going to say that word again, from being from this, from being there in support of the revolutionaries fighting the the... the you know, the, the, the state, to running and rushing to save these, what what were essentially useless books, because they were not important documents, at least what we, what we got, and I saw a lot of them. And what you saved, what they got was charred remains of books that are from the 40s and the 20s that you would just need to throw away. Mm-hmm. There. So, but again, it was this, 
you know, the burden mm-hmm. that you carried as somebody, as an intellectual. You have to be upset about that building. You have to be upset about those books without really seeing heritage for what it was. And to me, that was even an insult to heritage. Mm-hmm. But so maybe we should, maybe the question of whether those documents were precious or not is not maybe the most valid question in, in so far that uh, even if they were extremely precious, the questions that are asked, I mean, I'm, I'm actually thinking of a parallel that we already talked about in Archipelago with uh, Bakhtish and Garpore, mm-hmm. about, about the Timbuktu's uh, mausoleums being destroyed the same year in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, by Ansar those this uh, extreme branch of uh, of um, of um, uh, Malian uh, Islamist uh, mm. or Libyan Islamist, actually, uh, um, and uh, and how how you can read in the newspaper that three hundred people have been have been uh, have been assassinated or two thousand for that matter doesn't seems to doesn't seems to to provoke so much uh, so much uh, drama in Europe or in the western world in general but if you do touch the, the mausoleums uh, all in a sudden there is a sort of uh, a panic that's that start and an absolute outrage and and somehow i a part of me understand that there's a there is a um, there is something. There is a, something in in the almost attempted infinity of time of of mm-hmm. of, of, of of monuments that that maybe transcends transcends human life if you if you take it to yourself. But quite. But I, I I've been also thinking that it it might have been just like the the, the potential tourist in the. Uh, the potential European tourists who were furious that the next time they would they would <laughs> they would go to Timbuktu they would not actually have to got got to see uh, uh, all those mausoleums. I mean there there was something really uh, a little bit perverse in in this in this outrage when when uh, I mean this very hierarchization of outrage I suppose and I, I, I think maybe what happened with the Institut d'Egypte or or in with the with the Egyptian museum. Uh, a bit earlier uh, has something comparable to it, isn't it? I think that I, I think let let me speak sort of from a local perspective sure. because maybe that's easier for me. I think it's about hope and it's about mm, I, I think heritage for me is sort of about hope. It's about what what you leave behind somehow and how it expresses something. It expresses hope that the the future will be better. It's sort of like if I think of Syria now and I also get very upset when I hear about all the mosques that I love that have been demolished and I also get upset about the, when I hear about the people, obviously. But I think one sort of, when one hears about the mosques, one projects oneself to the future at a time when there is peace again and thinks about, you know, what is left behind. Okay? Mm. And, and then one would like to think that there is something that you can use to rebuild a community, whether it's heritage, whether it's economic, the economy, whether it's people, whether it's whatever. And the loss of heritage in that sense becomes poignant because it's it's about the loss of hope somehow, uh, for me. And this is something, another thing obviously is th- this concept of world heritage and what people relate to as belonging to the world. So the, 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 the mosques of Timbuktu, the... The, the Egyptian Museum, whatever this I understand, and and 
I think the first time I started to feel that outrage about heritage again was much later when the um, when the Islamic Art Museum was uh, was 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 destroyed because because of the the bomb in the in the nearby police um, headquarters, and I hadn't seen it after it was renovated. I always used to think I'll go I'll go in a week, I'll go in a month, whatever. And I had never seen it after it was renovated, and I thought I missed out on something, and I started to feel that outrage again. Um, but um, so so definitely, I understand that feeling. But for me, the Institut d'Egypte was a totally different story because it was an yani, it was a created heritage. It was a construct mm. created purely for political reasons. Okay, yani, obviously there was value, but it wasn't the value that people were talking about. It was a totally different kind of value that was much more subtle, much more layered. That would not have served the propaganda of, look, they're burning our heritage, they're doing this, they are, you know, the irresponsible youth of Egypt, whatever. So this constructed heritage in such a f- sort of flagrant, sort of obscene way, it it, it was, <laughs> I found it, I found it, uh, I found it unbearable somehow. Mm-hmm. And it put me off the whole thing of heritage for a while. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> So we we can uh, we can probably um, <clears throat> separate um, three periods of time since uh, since the revolution, which was uh, from so from February two thousand eleven to November, uh, between the revolution and the elections, and from 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 November two thousand eleven to July two thousand thirteen during the during the presidency of uh, of Morsi. And now, from from July two thousand thirteen to to now, with uh, since the coup d'état of the mm-hmm. army and the presidency of uh, of CC, um, what had 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 us Cairo has evolved? Uh, sorry, uh, uh, have evolved in the in the um, during during those three very distinct uh, uh, periods. Because I mean, right now it's particularly. It's particularly obvious that there's, there's been a, a very strong militarization of space, but I mean, uh, I'm saying that as someone who, who's been seeing it right now at this at this period. But I, I, I did not I did not see what happened before. So, if you could describe it for us, that would be very helpful. I, I think it's it's sort of difficult to to sort of make clear cut statements, and I I don't mm. think I am able to do that. But I can give you sort of glimpses and little vignettes of of, of how. Yani, there are obvious ways in which the city has changed. One of them is the dilapidation. Yani, obviously, we can agree that in the last three years, a lot of beautiful buildings were torn down. Um, certain services have broken down a bit more than they had before, such as garbage collection, for example. Uh, there's a lot more chaos because traffic has become even worse because uh, of a time where traffic rules were they were never really obeyed, but they were obeyed even less, mm. and this continued. So definitely, the city has has become uh, um, l- less manageable, okay, and uh, more n- not aggressive, but uh, but I don't know, more difficult to handle somehow. But in and and there are obvious things that people talk about a lot, such as yes, the militarization of space. That is that is. Definitely yes, uh, but even before the revolution, there was this idea of the police and the the zone, sort of the buffer zone around mm-hmm. the police uh, um, truck that that you do not want to 
you know, uh, traverse or uh, knowing that, for example, if there's a truck, if a truck is parked, you cannot walk between the in the pavement next to the truck. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that. Um, the fences, yes, there are a lot of fences now, but fences were always a um, a feature of of Cairo. Uh, military areas within Cairo always a feature of Cairo. It's just that certain things have become more have expanded and have 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 have, have become much more exaggerated. Uh, what I think is it. What for me personally was interesting, and I think we talked about this a little bit before, was experiencing the city in different ways simply because of this upheaval that is happening in different places and how you 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 visit a place that you've been to a million times but suddenly it's totally different like tahrir uh, and of course we have to start with tahrir um not just during the 18 days but throughout the time when it was close to uh, traffic which was quite a long time it's a totally different tahrir than the one you you know mm-hmm. where the roundabout where cars drive and that you know, that shift, that paradigm shift that you have the first time you drive through Tahrir after walking through it for so long is is something that is undescribable. It's almost as if you've moved to another, you know, uh, just it's like a parallel universe somehow. Mm. And also walking in, in places that you normally drive through or occupying places that like my, my very close I live very close to the presidential palace so walking from my from my flat to the presidential palace which is something that I would never do normally just because it's a very pedestrian it's sorry it's a very motorized road um and and feeling distances differently uh, marching down the, the the streets of Cairo uh, uh, and and occupying the the tracks of the tramway for example um Things of this sort, yani, using the city in a different way, using the, the hardware of the city in a different way. What knocking on a fence means that there's danger or taking apart tiles and using them as a kind of weapon against the, the police or um, just occupying, understanding um, sort of new uses for very uh, mundane uh, things like uh, the... Um, the the play the thing that holds uh, shoes in a mosque, in a lot of cases, uh, mosques were where uh, the the medical team, the emergency team would stand for the and they would use that thing that holds shoes for uh, to put their medical stuff. Mm. On. So these kind of conversion of objects in space, um, that is something that we've been through the last three three um, three years quite a lot, and. It does not, nothing lasts long. So the moment you get used to something, it suddenly becomes something else and something else. And so you continue to re-see the city and re-experience the city. And as much as this is an eye-opener, it's also a very tiring thing. Mm-hmm. So at one point, you don't want to see anymore. You don't want to experience anymore. And also b- borders that pop up and then they disappear. Like after, for example, after the, the coup, immediately after the coup, Heliopolis was under siege. We couldn't leave Heliopolis. There was only one exit out of Heliopolis. And so it felt like an island for the first time. And I would laugh at the times when I joked with my friends who live in Zamalek, who are, who's an, that's an island. And I would say, I can't live in an island. That's so claustrophobic. And here I was, you know, living in an island for, um, for I can't remember how long, a month. So so this so this shifting of, of space and place all the time and different perceptions of uh, of neighborhoods. Like, so for example, moving from being... The safest, most stayed neighborhood in 
in Cairo during the 18 days because Heliopolis was where the presidential palace was. So it was perfectly, totally blocked until the last couple of days to any kind of revolutionary action to being the no-go zone for fast food restaurants when uh, Morsi became president because all the, the protests moved to my neighborhood. Mm. So you couldn't pick up the phone and order a McDonald's, for example, because you were a danger zone. So, so the, the geography and the map of the city was shifting all the time under your feet. And I, I, I think that, was, that, 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 that for me was interesting and it makes you see the city even under, you know, during normal times in a different way. Taban um, safety this is another thing altogether so what is safe when um, one of the, the biggest changes that is still the case even today is how Cairo came to sleep early you know we used to be up all night and it always felt safe as a woman I could be walking in the street 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning perfectly safe now I can't do that in fact Nobody wants to drive down the the, the, the the ring road, for example, at three o'clock in the morning because it might be that you will be attacked and dropped or something might happen. Mm-hmm. So there's this also, this is, a, this is a new thing for the city. So there are certain things that seem to be here to stay for a while. They aren't of much interest to me because they will stay and then if, if circumstances change, they will change. But what for me was interesting was this constant shifting of the geography mm-hmm. and negotiating that and understanding it and the many maps that pop up the maps of the borders of uh, of uh, around military zones and around police zones you know those big concrete uh, yeah fences <coughs> or the maps Sorry. of the um, uh, the, um, the 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 maps of places where um, uh, the, the the graffiti maps for example or uh, the maps of places where women were raped um they're all sort of, you know, products of that time, but they, sh- they, they, it, it sort of brings to, it makes it very real the fact that this city is such a thing, you know. It, it's uh, remember we discussed this. I told you either love it or you hate it, but now it's even more than that. It, it's, it's become some, even if you love it, it's still something that's very tiring to love, mm. and that has come forth a lot in the last three years. I think, and it's, it's a tiring place. <laughs> Well, I certainly love it, that's for sure. But I mean, I didn't stay long enough to be tired of loving it. But uh, uh, maybe I, I'd like to help to I'd like you to help me reflecting on some things that I, I'm not quite articulating yet, which which happens a little bit in Beirut, but even more so in uh, in in Cairo and, and much more intensely. So, is um, impossibility of representation of the militarization of space it's like because mm. because every time you take photos in beirut they they kindly ask they court, courteously ask you to remove your photos here you might end up in jail so i mean it's like it's it's something extremely um extremely uh t- t- uh, I mean, there's a lot of tension about about the the representation of of the space of of security and Somehow, I, I feel there's something there in, in that reach almost a degree of iconoclasty, almost like the, the, the impossibility of representing something because that would that would represent it in its imperfection, and those imperfection could be could be uh, at a pragmatic level used uh, to I don't know to to lead an attack or whatever. But like there at, at a philosophical level, I feel there's almost something that that refuse to present its imperfection to to the to the to the 
sensitivity of the of the photographic film or something like that. I, I, I don't know if you want to help me <laughs> thinking about that a bit. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you see it in such, in such a sophisticated way. <laughs> but I think for me, it's sort of, it's again one of those strange time warps that we find ourselves in, in, in cities such as Cairo, where time stands still at certain points and it moves at certain points and you sort of go back and forth between... I don't know the fifties and the two thousand and fifty. I don't know. It's nineteen fifty and two thousand fifty. There's a hundred uh, years sort of moving back and forth. Now, I think the, the thing that you you have to understand about the militarization of space is that a, a lot of Cairo has always been militarized. Mm-hmm. It, it's it it makes you sort of cry. The the acres and acres of space, prime property in the middle of Cairo, that is a military camp. And this is in all our in in all the neighborhoods. Ten minutes walking distance from my home, there is a huge no man's land, that is a military camp. Um, if you if I walk west, there will be all these military clubs, right? That are, I mean, nobody the military did not pay us tax, you know, you know the the, the people of Egypt for using this land as a military club. Um, everywhere it's the same on the Nile, on the sea. So the military has a huge presence. It started in 1952. It did not start now. So this is something that that you have to understand. 1952 is Nasser, is, right? Yes, yeah. is the is the is the uh, the revolution, the, the, the Nasserite revolution. Yeah. Um, and you could never photograph these camps. Uh, you would not be arrested, but you will be approached and asked to at least, you know, uh, erase the picture or whatever. So the camps are there. The police stations are also another presence that has always been there, and you can never also photograph the police stations. So this is all. This all existed before two thousand and eleven. What has happened is that they have just stepped out their front porch. That's all, and they have also started. Yani, yani, this is one type, and the other type is the security type that stands here one day, stands there another, or or, or guards certain um, uh, strategic points in the city as a well. whole. But it's nothing new to us that we're not supposed to photograph the military as it is nothing new to us that we're not supposed to photograph embassies for example as architectural students all of us were at some point arrested because we took a photograph of something that we weren't supposed to take a photograph of and there's nothing new to us either that a photograph in general is not something that is seen casually in a city like Cairo there are a lot of no-nos like I my, my, my PhD was on the cemetery People would approach me again and again, ask, what am I photographing? If I'm photographing something old, it's okay. If I'm photographing people praying, it's not okay. If I'm pro- photographing children in the city of the dead, it's uh, as the Westerners call it, it's not okay. So there are all these, the, the camera is not a, a, a um, you know, a harmless, benign object. Definitely not. Um, why we're not allowed to photograph? I would love to think of it as, as the way you've you've so poetically put it, but it is. I think it's, and I'm going to be very crass and sort of you know very rough about this, but it, I think it is another sign of the stupidity and the ignorance of the military in general all over the world. The military are fine as long as there is a war and things are black and white. That's the way it works with the military. Nuances and grays are not part of the thing. 
So the fact that uh, before satellite images and before na na na, before whatever, a photograph was something that you could use because that was the only way to find out what was going on behind the camp still exists in their minds. As it exists that uh, 1973 was uh, a great war, which it was, I have no problem with that, but it, it is now 2015 and we're still talking about a war that happened 40 years ago. That 1956, the, the, when, uh, after 1952, when we got rid of the, of the British in, and uh, repelled the, 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 the sort of, what do they call it, the three attack, the attack mm-hmm. between the French and the British and the, uh, of the French and the British and the Israelis was an amazing thing that, on whose glory we still live and we still survive. So there's this, not a nostalgia, it's literally a living in the past in which a camera is is a, is a weapon. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Satellite imagery, but we do not, I don't know what they make of that anymore. But it's really, and it's a, for me, it's a source of frustration because if we're being ruled by, by the military and this is the, the mindset, it's a problem. Not in a very, not in a poetic way in any way, in a very pragmatic, everyday way. That, um, that if, if, if we're being ruled by people who are so black and white and who are stuck in certain parts of history and are refusing to get out, it's a problem. Um, I don't know if that, that answers your question. Yeah, it definitely but, uh, does. And, and we can actually stay within the, the realms of iconography uh, uh, with another part of your essay that describes this, uh, this event in February 2012 when uh, there was this uh, street that I'm sure you will remind us uh, the name that was flooded by like some kind of... Uh, <laughs> huge leak in the in the in the infrastructure mm. and uh and you 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 built an entire chapter of your essay on on the various uh the various uh photomontage that have been made with like this one photo of the of the flooded the flooded street and and uh, the sort of uh, sort of reflection on on the state of of things i mean that was again in february 2012 so uh, mm. um Yes, again, at the time, my concern was, again, how, how you use heritage. So um, the, 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 the street that flooded was Shara al that's the main street of historic Cairo. And it flooded for a day, literally. And it was a miracle that the government reacted so fast and they sorted out the problem. They even, and I was told this by uh, people in, in charge of, uh, in charge of the Ministry of Antiquities, they even washed the the cobblestones with soap and water after the you know they were so careful about everything and it was so ironic that people took that one day and used it to you know attack the government yani over the one thing that they did right to haram in their entire <laughs> existence almost no in a very long time but uh, and and for me it was again this idea of using heritage so it doesn't really matter where the truth lies what matters is how heritage can um, uh, justify or uh, can strengthen an opinion that you already have. Okay? So yeah. it becomes a tool. It does not... And so the nuances are lost. Um, and, and this was what happened during that time. And then what happened was a, a group of, of, of young architects took it and started to create memes of, of different... Uh, um, sort of inserting... different objects within that iconic image of the street being Mm. totally flooded, Uh, contemporary, old, from wherever. 
and, and one of them was like just to explain a little bit one of them was like a, some sort of sculpture of Mubarak as yes. as a pharaoh drowning in this in this water right yes yes and, and a few a few others in that style so to speak and, and and I think for me they were at the time emblematic of a certain trend that I thought was very um, uh, promising of this new generation of, of, of young Egyptians who had led the revolution becoming increasingly self-referential. So for refusing to reference themselves in history or in geography or in global uh, sort of cultures or whatever, starting to pick and choose from different cultures, whatever they want, and mix it in a different way and ch uh, use those to create their own frame of reference. That could change from one person individually from one person to the other. And I thought that was very promising. And it's really sad that now we have gone to the absolute opposite of that on a, on a national level, where youth are still extremely self-referential, and that's why they have withdrawn, because they cannot take this... Um, you know, back into time thing where we're suddenly very 1960s and we're within a very fascist and, and very nationalist framework where we all have to unite, you know, behind a cause, whether it's uh, being against terrorism or being against the, the brotherhood or being pro the military or whatever. But all of us have to refer to that general national framework. Whereas for me, the the best thing that came out of the revolution was this Uh, letting go of the need to refer to something outside yourself, but choo choosing your own reference. And the, 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 the street that we're talking about, that frame, within that was installed different references according to different people. And, and that I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose we saw, we saw many, uh, I mean, I got to see many of, uh, of this uh, uh, enthusiastic and passionate uh, young young people young designers and creators uh, at at Megora that uh, you seem to to be gathering so <laughs> so uh, there is a, there is hope to to use to use your term i suppose in, in with Megora uh, i hope so yeah well Mai, thank you so much for finishing uh, this uh, this series of 12 podcasts uh, uh, in uh, Lebanon uh, Lebanon Palestine Uh, Jordan and, uh, and Egypt and um, I'm very glad we get to finish it uh, with this conversation. Thank you. Thank you Leo and come back to Cairo. Thank you, I will. <laughs>